welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. Whether you are in the room live, watching live online or later on demand, or listening to our podcast, we've been praying that you would experience the life-changing power of God in your life today. If this is your first time visiting Dayspring, we want you to know that this is the kind of church where you get to be you. There's no need to pretend that everything's perfect in your life. It's certainly not in ours. We are regular people on a journey, allowing Jesus to make something beautiful out of our broken and often messy lives. We're learning to live like Jesus, a little more today than yesterday, a little more tomorrow than today. I'm Chris Voigt, and I lead the team here at Dayspring. That team is made up of people committed to helping you grow. People grow here because that team loves to challenge, encourage, and equip people to become more like Jesus. So if you're on that journey too, we're looking forward to lending a hand. And even if you aren't sure that you're ready to be on that journey with us, maybe you are skeptical about the claims of Jesus or skeptical of his followers. Well, this is still a great place, a safe place to explore and ask questions as you look for answers. We're asking questions and looking for answers too, so I think we can be pretty good company on your journey. So welcome. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church, by checking out our Facebook page, or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your home church, or if you just have questions, let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find a discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. And now, let's join our service. In his book, Draw the Circle, Mark Batterson relates the story of George Washington Carver, one of the most brilliant scientific minds of the 20th century. Born into slavery in Diamond Grove, Missouri, during the final years of slavery, he and his older brother were raised by Moses and Susan Carver, the couple who, before the ending of slavery in 1865, had actually enslaved them. Born at a time in history when education was out of reach for most black people, George's adoptive mother, Susan, taught him the basics of reading and writing in his early years. It birthed within him a hunger for learning that eventually led him to become the chairman of the agricultural department at what we know as Tuskegee University. Around the turn of the century, as the boll weevil was devastating the cotton crops of the South and farmers were struggling with soil that was depleted of its nutrients, George introduced the concept of crop rotation. He encouraged uh, farmers to plant peanuts instead of cotton, which was good for the soil but of no help to the suffering economy because there was no market for peanuts. They just ended up rotting in warehouses. When the farmers brought their complaints to Carver, he did what he had always done. He took their complaints to God. You see, George Washington Carver was a man of prayer. It was his, it was his practice to get up at 4 a.m. to walk through the woods asking God to reveal the mysteries of nature. So one morning he says, I asked God, why did you make the universe, Lord? And God replied, ask for something more in proportion to that little mind of yours. Why did you make the earth, Lord, he asked. Your mind still wants to know far too much. Ask for something more in proportion to that little mind of yours, replied God. Why, why did you make man, Lord, he asked. Far too much, far too much. Ask again, replied God. 
Explain to me why you made the plants, Lord, he asked. Your mind still wants to know far too much. The peanut, he asked meekly. Yes, for your modest proportions, I will grant you the mystery of the peanut. Take it inside your laboratory and separate it into waters, uh, fats, oils, gums, resins, sugars, starches, and amino acids, and then recombine these under my three laws of compatibility, temperature, and pressure. And then you will know why I made the peanut. So he went into his laboratory with a, with a peanut and came out with more than 300 uses for the peanut. As Batterson writes, everything from glue to shaving cream to soap to insecticide to cosmetics to wood stains to fertilizer to linoleum to Worcestershire sauce, even our good old peanut butter and jelly sandwiches can be traced back to George Washington Carver and his conversation with God. I want to pray like that. And I want God to answer my prayers like that. George Mueller was an evangelist in, in England in the 1800s. During the course of his lifetime, besides pastoring one church for 66 years, he established the Ashley Down Orphanage, through which he cared for more than 10,000 orphans while establishing 117 schools for their education throughout England. In today's dollars, he raised more than 150 million without ever asking for even one penny. In fact, he never asked anyone for anything. He knew that God knew what he needed. So he turned every need into a prayer. If he needed a plumber, he asked God to supply a plumber. When he needed food, he asked God to supply food. Whatever he needed, he just asked God to provide. His journals record more than 30,000 answers to specific prayers. I'm not greedy. I'd settle for half that number. I want to pray for everything with the faith of George Mueller. And I'd really like God to show up the same way with answers. Don't get me wrong. I do pray and God has answered some of my prayers in pretty spectacular ways. Before I started at Dayspring, I spent five weeks in southern Italy on a mission trip. Our organization had partnered with the local evangelical churches in Naples, as well as a professional Christian soccer club from Brazil to host a crusade with football, not the American kind, but the rest of the world kind, as a draw. And on the last night of the crusade in a stadium where we had set up an elaborate stage and sound system, much like you'd see at any concert, the, the weather forecast had turned from partly cloudy to definite rain on the, on the way. We could see clouds on the horizon dumping buckets of rain on everything as they headed directly toward us. Besides the thousands of dollars of equipment that were uncovered and at risk, we knew that rain would keep people away. People who needed to hear about Jesus. So we prayed. As I walked laps around the perimeter of the soccer field, it had already been a hard, discouraging day personally, and I needed God to show up for me. So I prayed that he would part the clouds as they passed over the stadium, much like he'd parted the Red Sea for the Israelites so long ago, which he did. I know I wasn't the only one praying in those moments as the clouds barreled our way, and I'm sure I wasn't the only one asking him to part the clouds. But in those moments, God answered my prayer as he showed up and encouraged me. So I, I've definitely experienced the best result of prayer. I, I have a few wins in my pocket. But there are other times when I felt like God was ignoring the cries of my heart. 
I have prayed for healing for people I have loved deeply who still experience the pain and discomfort of their health issues. I have prayed for healing for people I have loved deeply only to have God take them home. I have, I have prayed for people, for God to introduce himself to and change lives of, of friends and family who will suffer for eternity if he doesn't come through. And yet they are still far from Jesus. I have prayed for relationships to mend that stay broken. I have prayed for love to overflow where there is still hate. I have prayed for God to meet financial needs, mine and others, and even here at church. And instead of slaughtering one of those proverbial cows on a thousand hills that would pay for that need with plenty left over, he hasn't. I was raised in a family that believed that if you put in the effort, you will see the reward. Uh, when it comes to reading my Bible, I know that if I read my Bible every day, God's word will do its perfect work in my life over time. Isaiah 55 tells us that God's word always accomplishes its purposes. It never returns void, or in my case, void. So if I put in the effort, there will be a reward over time. But when it comes to prayer, you've got to throw that whole idea out with the bathwater. I never seem to know what I'm going to get. It's like I haven't found the right formula for prayer yet. I don't know about you, but I process visually, so maybe this will help me illustrate what I'm talking about. You know, sometimes I pray small, stupid, unimportant prayers. I tell God what I want and put very little effort into it, and he says yes. Maybe you've done this too. You're headed downtown and traffic's a nightmare and you're running a little late and you just throw out a, God, can you send the parking angel to open up a parking space right where I need it to be? And he does. Don't be cynical. There's no coincidences in God's economy. So he does. It's a what I want prayer about me. And he says yes. And other times I pray for something really important to me. And I put lots of effort into the prayer. Maybe over days, weeks, months, and years. Uh, like I've prayed for years for my grandfather to come to know Jesus before he died. And he didn't. So clearly God's answer was no. Sometimes I pray faithfully for something I know God would want, like healing in a broken relationship. Of course God would want that, right? So I pray for, uh, faithfully for healing and restoration of the relationship only for the couple to get divorced or the friendship to end. And then sometimes I pray once for what I know God would want and then I practically forget about it and he does say yes. And then to make matters more confusing, sometimes... I don't take the time to pray about something I want at all. And he gives it to me anyway. And then there are times that I pray for something and he gives it to me. And then later I'm sorry he did. Or he doesn't give it to me and then later I'm glad that he didn't. Sometimes I pray against something and it happens. Or I pray for something and it doesn't happen. And I begin to wonder, what's wrong with me? What am I doing wrong? Let me explain. Take a look at this verse from James chapter 5. Verse 16, James writes, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Now, I am certainly aware of all of my failures and weaknesses, but I think I'm fairly righteous. I mean, King David, who committed adultery and murder to cover up the adultery, he, he, wasn't, he was considered righteous. So I'm not sure where the line is, but 
I know that God, because of Jesus, sees me as righteous. So I think I'm fairly righteous. But most, most of my prayers seemed, don't seem to be all that powerful and produce wonderful results. Do I just need to be more righteous? And the gospel of Mark tells us that Jesus said this. I tell you, you can pray for anything. And if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. I definitely pray for anything and everything. But when I don't receive it, does that mean I didn't really have faith? That I didn't believe enough that God would answer? I mean, I thought I did. Is God even listening? Well, according to the Apostle John, he is. He, uh, he says it this way in 1 John chapter 5. And we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know he hears us when we make our requests, we also know that he will give us what, he asks for, what we ask for. So we know he hears us, but is he listening like husbands listen to their wives? I, in one ear and out the other? Maybe it's just that I don't pray enough. The Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5 tells us to never stop praying. Ruby was a dear saint in the church I grew up in. She has long been with Jesus. But years ago, she was in a Bible, women's Bible study with my mom. And at the beginning of the year, they were going around the circle telling each other what they wanted uh, the, the coming year to look like in their, in their walk with Jesus. And when it got to Ruby, this dear prayer warrior said, this year... I want to wake up and pray for four hours every day instead of three. To which I say, more power to you, Ruby. But I have trouble praying for 15 minutes without losing my concentration. But is that what Paul means when he says, never stop praying? Does my prayer life need to look like Ruby's? Maybe I just don't pray enough. Does anyone else struggle with prayer or is it just me? Just a quick show of hands. If you've ever had God not answer a prayer the way you wanted him to, raise your hand. Yeah, see, I'm in good company. I'm not alone. You know what breaks my heart? Are the hands that aren't in this room to be raised. Sadly, I think most of us can think of a friend or two, a family member or two, have walked away from their faith completely because God didn't answer their prayers the way they wanted him to. Well, welcome to Conversations with God. Over the next month, we're going to look, uh, we're going to explore the tension uh, that we experience when it comes to prayer. The tension between what we want and what God wants. Next week, we're going to explore the purpose of prayer and then the power of prayer before ending with the practice of prayer. But today, we're stuck with the problem of prayer. And I guess if you boil it down to the irreducible minimum, there is a problem with prayer. And that problem is me. That problem is you. Uh, we are the problem, or maybe problems, because we bring more than one problem to the table. The first problem we bring to the table is that we don't know what to pray for. When it comes to what God is up to in our lives or in the lives of the people we love and pray for, we have a very limited perspective. At some level, we know that the intricacies of our lives are complex and God is generally working in a variety of ways through our situation, many levels, all at the same time. And I think we really forget how much we don't get it 
we don't get what God might be doing. In Isaiah 55, the same passage where God tells us that his word always returns, uh, always accomplishes its purpose, he also tells us that his ways are not like our ways. His thoughts are not like our thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth is how differently he thinks than we do. Like compared to God, we have one-dimensional thinking. And that one-dimensional thinking oft, often leaves us praying for short-term solutions to long-term problems. We pray for rescue. We want him to rescue us from our health problems. We want him to rescue us from our financial problems. We want him to fix our relationships. We want him to fix this or fix that. We want rescue. If we were to picture this visually, it might look like this. You are here or your loved one is here. Maybe you have cancer or you need a job or your kid is far from God and you don't want them to be. So you are here and rescue means you need to be there. So you focus on where whatever there is when you pray. The problem with that mindset is that God is certainly working there. He is working here as well. And everywhere in between. And by focusing only on there, we miss what he wants to do on the journey from here to there. Now, please don't misunderstand me. It isn't wrong to pray for rescue. If that's the only conversation you have with God, that's not a bad thing. Sometimes when you are empty at the end of your rope, rescue is the only thing you have faith for. That isn't bad. It's honest. God loves an honest prayer. I have been in that place before. But I do believe, and this is just my opinion here, I do believe that if you're going to pray for rescue, you shouldn't expect your prayer batting average to get any better. Because we don't think like God. Which means, do we even really know what rescue looks like? Uh, part of the problem for praying for rescue is that it keeps our eyes focused on us. And the problem with that is that, that God doesn't exist for us. We exist for him. In Isaiah 43, 7, God says this, Bring all who claim me as their God. For I have made them for my glory. It was I who created them. In the New Testament, uh, the Apostle Paul ends Romans 11 like, like this. For every, everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. So uh, we exist to bring glory to God. Now, scholars have debated this for centuries, so no one really knows the answer. But somewhere, there is a line between God's sovereignty and our freedom to choose. I, I do know that Proverbs tells us this. Uh, we, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Now, though I'm, I'm sure this is pretty, uh, a little simplistic, I tend to lean toward this truth that God has put into place a plan for my life that is designed to bring him the glory he deserves. That plan has already taken into account my choices, the choices of the people interconnected in my life, my bad attitudes, my good attitudes, etc. That plan is sovereignly designed. I have the free will to determine how I will respond in each moment. Which leads me back to the words of the Apostle Paul, this time to the church in Corinth. Paul wrote this, So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. 
that whatever you do statement is pretty broad. Uh, maybe the whatever you do part of our prayer should simply focus on his glory. Maybe we should be praying that God would give us eyes to see the opportunities to glorify him as we walk the path to rescue. That we would keep our eyes on those opportunities in front of us rather than searching the horizon for rescue. Maybe we should be praying that we would have the strength and faith to glorify God through every situation in our lives, even if that situation brings hardship of some kind. Believing in faith that he'll rescue us as he sees fit, when he sees fit, how he sees fit. On a personal note, I'm not always successful at viewing my circumstances this way. But, but when I am, when I let go and just let God do his thing, when I keep him at the center, I have never been disappointed on the other side, even if the situation hasn't changed one bit. So that's the first problem we bring to our praying, our limited perspective. We, we don't know what to pray for. The second problem we bring to our praying is that we pray with the wrong motives. Now, have you ever bought a lottery ticket or thought of buying a lottery ticket, if you are more righteous than I am, and then spent some time dreaming about all of the good that you would do with $637 million minus taxes? God, think of all the money I could give the church, all the good I could do in your name. I'd feed starving children in Africa. I'd fund scholarships for Christian kids who can't afford to go to college. I'd, I'd go to a restaurant and buy everyone's meal in Jesus' name. I mean, sure, I'd keep a little for myself. The prophet Jeremiah said this about our hearts. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Can we just acknowledge that even our best motives are tainted? We can be honest here. It's just you and me and a bunch of friends who are just like us. We like it when life is easy. We want to be blessed, which for us means if we have to have problems, we only want little problems. We don't really want to struggle. And we chafe a little when God throws a curveball into our very carefully crafted, barely balanced lives. We don't live with any margin for those curveballs. So when they hit, we look for the Staples Easy button to get us through. And when it comes to our Christian journey, well, our Christian journey is infected by the same idea. We want deep roots without having to do the deep work it takes to get deep roots which is why our Bible time is inconsistent. Our prayer life is inconsistent. We come to church most Sundays, but resist the inconvenience of serving unless the pastor corners us. And our hearts are really good at convincing us that we are justified. Our hearts can convince us of anything. Now, I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip on anyone here. You don't answer to me. You answer to G-O-D. You can work it out with him. But here's the deal. Our friend and mentor, the Apostle Paul, tells us to work out or demonstrate our salvation with fear and trembling. Don't be confused by that. We don't work for our salvation. Every part of our salvation is a free gift from God, given freely to us because of our faith in Jesus. We can't do anything to earn it. It just is. But once we have it, we also have the responsibility to steward that gift well, which means that we surrender our lives to his work in them and partner with him to become deeply rooted followers of Christ who believe like, think like, and act like Jesus. That's what it means to work out your, your salvation with fear and trembling. Anything that makes me more like Jesus isn't an inconvenience. It's a part of the journey to holiness. 
The Apostle Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says that we must be like newborn babies. You must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. And the unknown author of Hebrews echoes Peter's words. At the beginning of chapter 6 he says, So let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. And many times you've heard us say that there is nothing more important than your spiritual journey. Nothing more important than your spiritual journey. Nothing more important than becoming like Jesus. Becoming like Jesus should be the priority of, our, of your life. Most of us will agree with that. We just want it to be easy. So we, we, we try to pray away the hard when we should be praying for God to do whatever it takes to make us more like Jesus. Which, sadly requires hardship. Even Jesus had it hard. Why would we think it would be any different for us? So this plan for your life that God has carefully crafted uniquely for you, the one that we talked about that is designed to maximize his glory through your life, yeah, that one, it also includes everything you need to become like Jesus. And let me tell you, if you could become like Jesus without hardship, God wouldn't have put it in the plan. However, you are like me, a little dense and hard-headed much of the time. Hard is what it takes to change our hearts. In the fall of 1991, scientists in Oracle, Arizona, began an experiment that they dubbed Biosphere 2. Earth is considered Biosphere 1. The project allowed these scientists to play around with, the in with innovation in farming that didn't harm the planet. Uh, but the most astonishing discovery had nothing to do with farming. It was about the role of wind in the growth and life cycle of a tree. Inside of Biosphere 2, the trees grew more rapidly than trees grow in the outside world. But they also fell over before they reached maturity, which initially didn't make any sense to the scientists. It was, after all, a perfect environment. So they started studying the root systems and the outer layers of bark. And in the process, they found that the lack of wind in Biosphere 2 caused a deficiency in what they called stress wood. Stress wood helps trees position themselves for optimal sun absorption, as well as helping them grow more solidly. Without, without stress wood, the trees could not withstand normal wear and tear and survive. Trees need some stress in order to thrive in the long run. We aren't all that different from those trees. In order to become deeply rooted men and women who think like, believe like, and act like Jesus, we need stress to develop those roots. God has carefully crafted a plan to help you develop deep roots. So maybe we should check our motives at the door and instead of praying for easy Maybe we should pray for open minds and hearts to see and embrace what God wants to do in us. Maybe we should pray with gratitude that God would love me enough to craft the best plan for me. Loves you enough to craft the best plan for you to help us become like Jesus. And maybe we should pray the same for the people we love. In the words of James, the brother of Jesus, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity 
for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect to complete, needing nothing. We will never become like Jesus, perfect and complete, needing nothing, without a little or maybe a lot of wind in our lives. Okay, so to, to recap so far, we've covered two problems with prayer. Two problems on our part, not God's part. First, we don't know what to pray for, and second, we pray with the wrong motives. We bring other problems to prayer, of course. We'll cover those, some of those as we continue in this series. But for now, I know that focusing on the problems has been a bit of a downer. <laughs> I'm an eternal optimist. I don't, I don't like downers. I want us to get excited to pray. So to balance the bad news of the, the problems, let's look at some good news. There is good news. In spite of all the problems that we bring with us when we pray, God is very aware of our weaknesses. And his word includes some pretty incredible promises that more than make up for our problems. I love this promise in Romans chapter 8. These words come to us from the Apostle Paul. He writes, And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. You see, God gets it. He knows that we don't know what we don't know. So he's given us help. The Holy Spirit makes our messy prayers beautiful for our Heavenly Father. Verse 27. And the Father, who knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. I, I picture their conversation a little bit like this. You know, God, Chris prayed for this, but he doesn't really mean it. He's being a little short-sighted right now. If he knew what he doesn't know, he would have prayed this. So let's just say that on his behalf and call it good. Okay, maybe it doesn't work just like that. But here's the, the end of this incredible promise. No matter what we pray, no matter what we experience, no matter how hard the road might be, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Now that, that is pretty freeing if you think about it. We don't have to worry about praying the wrong thing. The Holy Spirit turns our wrong thing into the right thing, and we can trust that God's got it all under control. There's something that I've learned to do that has helped me frame my prayers personally, and it might, might be helpful to you as well. Instead of just praying for rescue for me, or you, or whomever I'm praying for, uh, whenever I'm praying, I've made it a habit to ask myself and God, what could God be doing right now? What's he up to that I don't see? Or what might God want to do right now in me or in this person or through me or through this person? I'm basically asking God to broaden my perspective so I can better pray in alignment with his plans and purposes for whatever situation I'm praying about. So if, if you ask me to pray that you get a new job, instead, I might pray that God would reveal himself to you right where you are 
I might pray that God would remind you how much you are loved, that he would deepen your faith and trust in him through your current situation, that he would open your eyes to the opportunities to bring him glory right where you are as long as you were there. And if a new job is the end, more power to him and you. But until then, God isn't finished with you where you are. If he were, he would have already moved you. So while we're at it, I have some homework for you to do this week. Something to broaden your perspective and increase your faith as you think about prayer. I want to encourage you to think about some of the things you've prayed for in the past. It doesn't matter whether God's answer was yes or no at the time. But using your hindsight, which they say is 2020, but I'm not sure is really that good. But using your hindsight, do you have a different perspective now than you did then about whatever it is you prayed for? From this side of it, do you have a better picture of what God was up to at the time? And then, can you leverage that information to help you pray more effectively for whatever is on your heart right now? Next week, we're going to take a look at the purpose of prayer. Why, why does God invite us to talk with him? Let's pray. Thank you for joining us today. Let me encourage you to download the discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. Working through those questions on your own or with others will help the truth of God's Word begin to shape your life as you grow to be like Jesus. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. My email address is on the screen, or you can call the church during the week. This ministry is made possible because of the faithful giving of people who called Dayspring their home church. God's work in their lives has left them changed, has made them more like Jesus, and they have come to understand how God uses their generosity to encourage others to become like Jesus as well. So if you're just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. We count it a privilege to play a small part in God's perfect work in you today. For those of you who would like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website, or text GIVE to the number on your screen, or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. Until we meet again, I am praying that God's presence would inhabit your conversations with Him as you pray. And one more thing. Thank you for liking and sharing and following Dayspring on whatever platform you connect with us. Thank you for rating us where that is appropriate. Even more, thank you for sharing our services with your friends and family. If this service was a blessing to you, it'll probably be a blessing to someone else too. God uses you to plant seeds in other people's lives. So keep sowing.